0: Welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network, it's Liz Kelly. We launched a new show on the network called the Ringer Fantasy Football Show. Coming from the guys who brought you the fantasy football podcast, Danny Heifetz, Danny Kelly, and Craig Korolbeck will guide you through the fantasy football season, providing analysis on big picture conversations like weekly matchups, trades, and daily fantasy. The show will run every Monday and Wednesday throughout the rest of the summer, and will be helping you through the
1: regular season as well. So, follow and listen to the first episode of the Ringer Fantasy Football Podcast out now for free on Spotify. Hey, listen to me, you little fucking piece of shit. I'm going to tell you one thing and one thing only about the Western boys you are playing with. We do not lose. And we do not forget. And we do not give up. Ever.
0: Okay, walk it off,
1: motherfucker. they don't give a fuck about people. ...out here right now and put the bracelets on, we will not kick the living shit out of you! But if you make us go into the weeds for you, or if you make us come back out here tomorrow night, catch you on the corner, of fucking Christ, we will beat you longer and harder than you beat your own dick! Cause you do not get to win, shitbird! We do! I do the don't, but I got this place to be.
0: Now we are on to season three, episode one. You know, you have this huge sense of accomplishment. Oh, by the way, the episode is called Time After Time. You have this huge Mm. sense of accomplishment after you complete a season of The Wire. And then Mm. at the beginning, it's like you still have so much optimism, so much not optimism about the city of Baltimore, because frankly, they've stolen all that at this point. But it's like you're starting a a new season, new themes, Whole new characters. It's like the first day of school. And- I was just
1: about to say that. What? It's, Where the are you? First, it's the, it's first, the day of first day of school. Because, you know, the first day of school was the first day that you get up there. You go, I'm going to get straight A's. I'm never going to miss a oh point. Oh, my God. I'm going to be all state. And, and then the third or fourth week, you're just back to doing the shit that you normally do. Totally true. <laughs> oh, right. And so man. that's exactly what I it feel feels. seen
0: right now. I feel seen. I feel attacked. <laughs> <laughs> I feel attacked right now because I did that shit every year. i would be like, yo, I'm gonna get straight A's, like mm-hmm. I'm not gonna cause any trouble in class. Like I'm gonna be a model student. I'm gonna go for perfect attendance. And then mm-hmm. you said four weeks shit. By the second week, I was like, man, fuck all that. I'm about to yeah, this- I'm, out. I'm gonna get this yeah. hot C and it's just gonna have to work. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But yeah, it's 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 a lot like that. And the wire, you do kind of have to re-educate yourself, not necessarily on the themes, but you're David Simon doesn't believe in introducing one or two characters. He's giving you no. a whole new world, a whole influx of people that you have to know, you have to understand the dynamics of this world and how it applies to the overall novel that is known as The Wire as a series. So, in episode one, that's kind of what the, the major takeaway is, is that, okay, time to get adapted to this new world. We're familiar, mm-hmm. of course, with the police, but now we're getting super familiar with the Western District and how they right. do things over there because of uh, Bunny Colvin and uh, some other things that have happened, and now we're delving into politics in the political yeah. world, and mm-hmm. seeing how the infrastructure of, or the broken infra- infrastructure of politics combined with the broken system of policing combined with what happened, what is happening on the streets, how this shit is all woven together. So I- I'm just excited because this is day one of class, and we're gonna we're gonna get a four point van. <laughs> The yeah, outfit go, was laid do. out 4. on the 0. bed last night. <laughs> hmm yeah. The whole
1: deal. I got my Carl Kanai out. You know, I remember back in '93, it was the first day of school. I went to go buy the Carl Kanai. The girl was like, yo, you just wear the vest, you don't wear a shirt under it. I was like, what? give me a shirt to wear under it. Wait a this. minute. I don't... You, you you just go yeah. like shirtless. It was a Carl, the Carl Kanai vest. I had the whole Carl Kanai outfit. And like you the, the vest was buttoned up. You you seen the brothers in the videos or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And she was like, I was like, "Yo, so what do I wear under it?" She was like, "You don't wear anything under it. It's the vest. You just wear the vest itself. That's your shirt." I was like, "No, it's titties under here. I need like I like I, I need you to, I need you to, I need the actual thing." So we okay, can I get the shirt, but I felt powerful, and that's how I felt watching this. I it's so funny. I wrote I wrote new world exploration as my takeaway. New world exploration. Now we could get into a conversation about the Columbian Exchange and whether or not civilization was better after Columbus. touched Columbus touchdown, but we won't talk about that. Different podcast, not this one. We are going to be better for the exploration that we're going to do because we have all new terrain to explore, like you just pointed out. We have all new people to explore it with, and we have some of our old explorers who are now more seasoned in trekking across West Baltimore. But even for them, there is newness. Because of the first thing that happens in this episode.
0: Yes, you are you are completely correct. Um, I, I guess my major takeaway from this, uh, this introductory into season three, was the theme of winning at all costs.
1: Mm. And
0: um, I, it reminded me of a conversation that people have brought up lately on social media. And I think we addressed it on this podcast before. That people, there were some people who... Said or at least insinuated that the wire was propaganda, that the wire right. trying to put it in the same bucket of shows of Law and Order. And there were some people. Toray said that. Toray said that. Yes. Toray
1: said that. So Tore, you, you we appreciate you, and we appreciate that you got the the brow beating that you deserve. Toray is great, <laughs> and he's a great podcaster, great writer, all of that stuff. I appreciate the fact that you got the brow beating that you deserve. When you tried to come at, and you, then you added Jamel. how spicy. Because how spicy he was is a question. How spicy is Terre trying to be? Shout out to Terre, man. That's the dog. But like, he, he was asking, is, is what? Nah, we'll come back and everybody got, and by the way, David Simon jumped in there too. I saw that. Yeah, David Simon was ah! like,
0: he was like, hey, the works stays I said what when I doesn't. said. Yeah, I, said, I what said what I said. Like, I ain't taking <laughs> shit back that I put in it. But I right. thought about what what Therese said and for that matter that conversation because we the mentality of the police it's been exposed throughout this series but yes. in this episode it's like on a platter you see right. what it is between mm-hmm. what McNulty said and we'll get into this a little bit later when we uh go over the best scenes and Carver's whole King Kong ain't got nothing on me speech right where he was like Chip birds, you don't get the win Right. That is the police. Okay. Right. That's yeah. not good. Like that doesn't mm-hmm. make them look uh valiant. That doesn't make them look like they're trying to be saviors or heroes. No, it makes them look petty, small minded, and incompetent. And mm-hmm. I think you see a lot of how that mentality that even with the ones who do good policing, like McNulty, that mentality still is kind of like their worst enemy. Like that right. they had they cannot. They get drunk on the power so easily, right. and uh, I I think that was I just couldn't help but think about that that argument or it wasn't even an argument because as you said, Teray was appropriately shouted down right. <laughs> between myself and I, I feel like and Wendell Pierce who plays Buck has has responded to this question during this time since too about the wire being propaganda and and he. Obviously, and he played a cop, firmly rejected that. Like, no, this is about the utter incompetence that the police possess. So, yeah. um, but yeah, the, the the theme of winning at all costs, meaning it wasn't about justice, meaning it's not about making the city safer. It's about who gets to win. And, right. and I thought that was a very poignant theme in this one in, uh, as well as the other one. All right, uh right, let's do a little recap of what happened here in episode one. It's a lot that people we'll have to kind of uh, absorb even though at this point if, you're, if you've gotten to season three I think you generally know the layout of the land like you understand the systems even though he's introducing a new political system that we all have to learn but you know you, for those people who hate season two I'm sure because I, I was this way at one time too when this episode watching uh, season, one, season three episode one I was just like oh shit the black people back mm. <laughs> right so there's a lot of relief for the for the season 2 haters cuz then it goes back to the world that was established in season 1 where you got the Barksdale's, but now you got some new players up in the game because you right. have Prop Joe you got the Western uh, you got Westside yeah. coming into things so it, it's a muddied world like there was a certain order in the drug world that you saw in season 1 with the Barksdale's. that shit is all over the place now right. as they kind of lay out here in episode 1 so the detail which usually at this point they kind of and they're seasoned as you said they kind of know you know a little bit more of what the case looks like they're returning essentially to an old case and they don't have anything they have nothing right, right? nothing they're trying to get something on cheese they don't have shit they don't even have his voice on tape so they have nothing cuz they're hoping cheese and this new alliance between east side and west side that this will all lead back to stringer bail because that's what this is about Already established. As soon as McNulty finds out Stringer is involved and back to doing old Stringer shit, he's like, fuck it, I'm in. Gotta get him. Gotta get him. Right. And he is that means McNulty is also back to being annoying and horribly self-righteous. Yep. So we get that McNulty again. Um, as I mentioned, now we're driving into the world of politics, which introduces a whole new cast of political figures, which we will go over in a second. Omar. Right there in episode one,
1: back to his old tricks. (laughs) Back to getting it again. Love him. Like, like he's like a he's like the superhero that just keeps crawling out like Omar. Everything you know that a story in the wire is not going to be finished unless Omar Little is in the mix. Omar Little is going to be in the mix. They dangle him, and they're so good about giving you doses of Omar. If they could have over-Omar'd us. But they never do. They give you doses of Omar just when they need to inject the conflict or even the resolution to a conflict or the conscious into an episode, Omar pops up.
0: Yeah. And the, and the best part about it is that it, it, it kind of adheres to one of the old showbiz uh, rules, which is always leave him wanting more. And sure. because they use him so strategically, you're always like, man, that was it. I can't wait to see him again. And now, you know, in addition to bringing into the political world, uh, David Simon is also now uh, getting us to consider and think about criminal justice reform from the perspective of someone who has been incarcerated. So therefore, we get to meet Cuddy, who right, um, who becomes a major character, who is a major character in this particular season. He's somebody who was a Barksdale groon, goon. Feels like somebody that was WeeBay before WeeBay, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah. the, the the elder OG version of Weebae. Uh He was muscle, finally comes home, and he's finding a lot of difficulty trying to establish what's his place in the world. You know, stuff that he thought was open is no longer open. He's trying to figure out, you know, why the neighborhood It it feels like when he first got out, he's he's collecting that and like this shit looks so much worse than when I was here Mm -hmm. the last time. And he's trying to figure out uh, these youngins that have taken over all these corners, trying to adjust and figure out what the new street rules are. And this is Simon's way of just showing us how difficult things can be uh, for people like him. I mean, it's not like he did a one year or two year bid. He did 14 years. So this is a whole Mm -hmm. new world that he's stepping into now. Um, so as I mentioned, a lot of new characters to absorb. So introducing, and not by order of importance. We got this is one of my favorite characters. When you, when it comes, there's minor characters in the wire. There's a lot that you like really fall in love with. This one may be my number one. Maybe. Mm. It's hard to say because it's so many. Slim Charles. We finally we mm. we meet Slim Charles. Slim, Slim Charles. Charles. I'm a caller. Good right soldier. Now. Good soldier. He's a potential six man candidate. He definitely oh, okay.
1: Is. He you is got definitely... him on a six-man award watch list.
0: I do. I have him high up there. High P-E-R. Always a right. high P-E-R in Slim Charles. I,
1: I have him on the annual WeeBay Award watch list. Ooh. The WeeBay of the season. Like I, like, I think it's very... Let's just be honest with you. He's going to be the WeeBay of the season. So, <laughs> so, so so yeah. But Slim Charles, great character. One of the most consistently great characters uh, of The Wire. Uh, Cuddy,
0: as I mentioned... We also have now Councilman Thomas J. Carcetti in the building, yes. mm-hmm. uh, uh, and we get our first real look at Marlo. Yes, that also happens, and not by so. And, and I thought they set the tone with him, much like they did with Brother Moves On, real well because Marlo. <laughs> the first the first introduction is him being cold calculating and pretty yep. much uh, a the son of a bitch. Like right away. Right away, you right. know what
1: this dude is about. And quotable. Marlowe and- is very quotable. And the first thing he says, do, do it or it don't. don't, but do I got somewhere to, to be. be. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, like and that's how Marlowe talks in those things. You guys all know the so, so many wire quotables Marlowe is responsible for. But he drops the, his first time on the mic. Well, do it or don't. But I got somewhere to be cold. Talk about high
0: it. PR on the quotables. Very, Definitely a high yeah. PR. We got Delegate delicate, uh, Odell Watkins.
1: <laughs> big, big, big deal. Big yep, deal. big deal.
0: Big part of this. Mayor Clarence Royce, mm-hmm.
1: uh,
0: who uh, is now joining, um, who's an integral part in, in the political fallout <laughs> of some things uh, that we see. And my girl, not to be under, again, yeah, somebody with a high PR, uh, Detective Carolyn Massey, expert coupon clipper and Baltimore street code um, (laughs) linguist (laughs) here. Um, And and it it was funny because it wasn't until I was looking up some things on this episode that I realized I was like, oh, shit, she's a detective. Like, I don't
1: know. Right.
0: I didn't think she was detective. I thought I have to be honest. I thought she was like administrative help because I didn't I didn't realize she actually detectived. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah, her coupon cutting. Uh, was so severe. And uh, a character we welcome back is Sidnor. It's pretty much gone. Sidnor. From- yes.
1: He's back. Love Sidnor He's love back, it. man. Yes. Sidnor, is a very, he's a he's that heady point guard that you Sidnor is the Eric Snow of the Wire. Mm. Like he's that he's that heady veteran presence that you just need to he's go George in there. Hill. That's He's he. George Hill. George he's- Hill of the Wire. By, by the way, you guys. I know you guys are still on my brother, J.R. Smith, for uh, having missed, or having uh, called that time out or, or, or not going back up or ran back and doing the whole thing in the finals. But had George Hill just made that free throw, there would have been no rebound Here and the go. game would have been fine. So get off my brother, J.R. Smith. George Hill, <laughs> make your free throws.
0: J.R. Is a, is a national treasure. We need to protect national him treasure. at all costs, mostly it's from cool. himself. But that's okay. Exactly right. <laughs> that's my boy. All right, with uh, with this new cast of characters, Van and I thought we would dive deep into Cuddy. What a name. Yes. That's such a neighborhood name. Cuddy. Cuddy it's
1: yeah. one word. Cuddy. Big played Cuddy. By. Not only Big Cuddy or Little Cuddy, but it's Cuddy. It's, it's always Cuddy.
0: Cuddy. Yeah, right? right. Uh, played by Chad mm-hmm. Coleman, uh, who I thought did an excellent job in how this character develops and in showing that. You know, what life is is like uh when you're back out into society after being incarcerated. So what is it about Cuddy that you think also resonates, fam?
1: Okay. I'm gonna do something I've never done before. I want everybody to get out your small little violins, because I'm gonna get a little personal here. Okay. Play the smallest, tiniest little violins for Van Lathan. Uh I'm gonna dedicate this part of the podcast to Mark Lathan, my uncle Marky. Um He's passed away now. He passed away a couple of years ago, but he was released from prison when I was 15 years old. Yes, 1995. So I was either 14 or 15. And he had lived his entire life, and his entire adult life in prison. I had never met him free until that point. Um, he went away in 82 or 83. So I was two or three. And I don't remember meeting him then. I'm sure he helped me at some point. But as far as me remembering meeting him, he had, it was when he had just come home. See his pictures, you know, poses in the uh, in the prison, and they won the prison championship and all of that. You see him posing with the guys and stuff. But I remember him coming home, and him sitting down, and he sat down and he looked around and he was like, "Like, how do I catch up?" And he's like, "Look at you." And I was I was like like he's like look at you." He goes, Van, how tall are you? I go. I'm six one. He goes, and he started crying, and I had never. That was the first time I ever saw like a grown man cry, and he, uh, he was just like, "What do I like?" And and he was looking at my dad. He was just blubbering. He's like, "What do I do, Terry? What do I do?" And my dad goes, "Van, get out of here. Um, let me talk to your uncle real quick." So when I watched Cuddy come home, he doesn't know how anything works. He doesn't know how the game that he was a part of works. He doesn't know how his interpersonal relationships work. He doesn't know how the hood works. He doesn't know how anything works. They take you, they throw you in a fucking hole. They tell you your you're, you're shit. You become even more hardened and even more survivalistic. if That's even a word than you were before then. And then they let you out and they go back and they expect you to do something different. So Cuddy can't even do the different thing that he, he can't even do the same thing because that's changed. There are new players in that game. So what do you do? How do guys like that end up not hurting someone? So every time I watch not just this character, my Uncle Mark never got together. He ended up, you know, falling back into drugs as being the way that he coped and he ended up dying early. But when I watch Cuddy, like, I see a story that, like, so many people that grew up with me are going to be able to understand. They're going to get those guys that feel like you know there's nobody who can relate to what they've missed and what they've had to leave behind. And it's time and it's the one thing that you can't get back. So this episode, I've told you before I think season 3 is the best season of The Wire ever. Uh this episode to me is all about him. Watching the look on his face well, I think it's fruit, um, pulls a gun on him and robs him from the G-Pack. He's got a rage that he can't even really place. Like there's no crew to back him up. He doesn't know, he's not tapped in with anybody. He's helpless. He's powerless. And that's kind of when you're talking about recidivism and people being involved in the in a carceral system and all of the situations, the ills that we're trying to fix. In society, you're talking about guys like that. Guys who really would want to do better. When when Avon and and WeeBay are talking to Cuddy and they're telling him who to call and who to tap in with when he gets out, it's obvious that he doesn't want to do that. It's so obvious that he doesn't want to do it that Avon says the joint might have broke him and WeeBay pushes back. But if you watch that scene, he, all of the young, the, the youthful mistakes, the, the misplaced anger, he gave it all to the prison system. And so when he gets out, he's not real anymore. He's acting now. He's doing what he thinks he's supposed to do. He's trying to play an old game on a new console. And it just reminds me of guys... Like my uncle, and you know, if I told you, gave you a laundry list of things that he had done, you might think he's a monster, but he taught me how to use my left hand. So it, it, it's very personal, like watching that. It's very, very personal seeing that character being, be, being portrayed because of, of all the other characters in the wire that I kind of knew Cuddy, I really knew. And I just wish it had worked out differently. Of the cutie that was in my life, so I think the character is, is brilliantly played. I think he's uh, he's brilliantly written, and I think just to kind of to to tell that story, when people talk about the wire, is just another run of the mill show. It's not. It's different. It's a different show. It's not the same show. It's something that like that takes its time with developing these people. Um, so yeah, I'm I, I love the character. Uh, it's a it's a very very tough thing to watch I always every time I I go through this every time I watch it back but it's just real and that's the way things really are
0: well that was to me that's one of the hallmarks of or this character in particular is one of the hallmarks of The Wire and that a character that if you just told people the resume and Mm -hmm. asked them if they had any sympathy they'd most likely say no like guys 14 years out of prison kill somebody you think you'd have any sympathy for that character most of us would probably say no but right. the way this is written, much like most of the characters, they're written so that you nobody is really good or bad. They're just mm-hmm. trying their best to adapt to adjust to a life that they have been given and a life on some level that they have absolutely earned. And me watching this season of The Wire and us talking about this character is particularly timely because I am also at the same time listening to the audiobook of The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. Uh, mm. it had been on my list to read this book for a long time i certainly read sure. you know some other things i i kind of prioritized and read before it and i was like you know what i really need to commit to read this book because i hear so much about it so many people references, reference references right. and so mm-hmm. for people who don't know michelle alexander gives a brilliant thorough breakdown of mass incarceration in this country and compares it and and not compares it i mean she pretty much flat out says and I think makes an mm-hmm. excellent place and proves her point why mass incarceration is the new Jim Crow and right. seeing some of the things in this early episode. I mean, we know there's more that Cuddy goes through, but seeing some of the, the, the small things that David Simon has him going through so that we can really understand what prison takes from you is that it takes away not only your sense of worth, but your sense of place. Mm. And I thought it was especially poignant that when he finally gets out, he's walking through the um through the Baltimore streets like he'd been dropped off on Mars. He has no idea what any of this is because he hasn't been out in over a decade. All right, and mm-hmm. we know things happen quick and neighborhoods change hell. Every time I go to Detroit every year, and every time it's I'm different. there, it's just different. You go I'm you go to Louisiana all the time, you go back, you're just like, damn, what well, well, what happened? Yeah. And the further you get away from places like that, you. Things that you before, because you normalize it growing up in, that you didn't think were sad or you didn't think were depressing. You go back now, you're like, that shit is depressing. Like, I lived in this? Mm -hmm. Like, yes, you lived in this. So when he goes and finally gets to his mother's house and she is surrounded by abandoned row houses, it's just like, it it feels like it's sinking in slowly. Where you wouldn't blame him if he's thinking, man, I think I, I had it better in prison. I think right. that, that's probably what he's thinking. It's like he mm-hmm. had it better there. And as you mentioned, he comes out. He's trying to get some entry point into the game that he left, but not really because I agree with you when Avon told him who to call. Um, Avon won. I mean, you know, it's interesting that he assumes that he has not been changed at all by prison and that he just wants to go back. And, and he was just- there for – 14, 14 years. Right? 14 years. And he's like, ah, oh, yeah, this guy's probably still the same. He's probably ready to, right. to, to rock out like he used to, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and Weebae's like, nah, once you, what, if you somebody like him, like you never change. Weebae is, mm-hmm. of course, in many ways projected because we know if they let Weebae out, the next day, Weebae is going to have about 40 bodies by the end of the week because right. that's, that's how what he right. does. Yeah, right. right. That's what he does. But there has been a change in Cuddy. Um, where it's clear that he's a reluctant player in the game. And so not only is he a reluctant player in the game, he doesn't even want to be in. Then he comes in there to find that all the rules are different. So when, oh boy, when Fruit pulls this gun on him, and he was just basically telling him like...
1: Back in the day when a player tried to say he lost a package to the police, he had to give up a number for the report. We ain't back in the day. I'm getting... Fucking tired of your (laughs) ass. Okay, walk it off, motherfucker. (laughs)
0: Fucking
1: old school ass bitch.
0: So he finds himself being off balance in two worlds, which is hard to reconcile. Like he already knows he's not fit for legitimate life because he's never lived one. Never tried. He never tried. Like there's not one there. Now he's like the world that he thought he knew, that he thought he had rigged in his favor he can't do shit with that one because the game has passed him by and not only that the people now in the game have no respect for him whatsoever you know because what is it that fruit called him you uh you old school ass bitch i mean that's what he gets when he comes old
1: school ass bitch that's
0: just like i was like damn Damn. that hurt my chest damn
1: fruit
0: like that's just
1: fruit up. sucks, by the way. Oh, he's Like, terrible. like, like fruit. Like, just, just like you. The fruit sucks, but go. But yeah, go ahead though. You
0: know, a fruit is like I mean, if you want to say high PR in the wrong direction, it's definitely yeah. fruit. Like, exactly. Every, every scene he's in, you're like terrible fucking guy. Fuck
1: this guy. You're Fuck man. this yeah. guy.
0: Right. You're like, just like right terrible fucking guy. So right. through this, uh, through seeing these trials and tribulations that he's going in, and even the fact that you know. when he finally settles into what is now his new place um, or where he'll lay his head at, I guess that's the best way to describe it, like he's in a basement, right? Mm -hmm. And again, he's looking around like, holy shit, this is my life. I did 14 years in the pen and I'm coming out to sleep in a basement among a bunch of abandoned buildings and I ain't got shit, nothing. Mm. He has absolutely nothing. And so, you know, one of the things that, uh, is so brilliant about the Michelle Alexander book is that you find yourself possessing such a deep level of empathy for a population that you are conditioned to always feel like they got what they deserved. Right. And, you know, it, I hope this is a thought bubble for the people who are watching The Wire and watching this episode in particular is, you know, if, if people are going to come out with the lack of skills that clearly Cuddy has then what is the point of paying your debt? That's supposedly what you have done, right? You paid your debt to society only to come out and find that society gives less than a fuck about you. Right. And so it's just, it's a, it's a hard reality. And I thought his character was, creating this character is a very subtle way for him to introduce a part of the system that at this time, and we're talking about early 2000s, that wasn't really talked about in this manner. So he's giving this to you from all angles, the cops, the dealers. And then what happens after you get out, after you've been through this entire system, here's the end product is you ain't got shit. So, um, I definitely thought this is, uh, you know, uh, uh, Cuddy is a, he's a major character in this season, but where he is now and the evolution he undergoes, I think is, is very, um, It's not just remarkable, but I think it's very noteworthy for people who want to understand why so many people are pushing for criminal justice reform. This is he's kind of a glowing example of that.
1: Absolutely. I remember, uh, you know, Cuddy, guys like Cuddy were the result of the extreme sort of all those bad men that Ronald Reagan locked up in the 80s. Uh, well they were locked up in the early 90s all those, this, There was a point when uh, All of those guys came home Like all of those guys came home And then there was another point where we can get back Into another situation where after the crime bill Where they locked up more of them And then they come home and You know this is why communities That care about people that care about their lives And care about their futures and believe That they do have futures and can Contribute and do contribute uh, to their communities. This is why we have to wrap our arms around them no matter what happened in the past and and, and figure out a way to give them soft beds to land on. Uh, but I, I do this every time I watch it. So, you know, just great character. Cuddy, Cuddy's a great, a, a, a fantastic character. Uh, and I'm glad that they took a look at that because I can't think of another place that really besides like, I don't know, besides like uh, kind of the 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 same old like I come home, I can't even get a the, you know, besides all of that, it's not that overt. he never really talks about in a monologue, a long out monologue about how hard things are since he came back. You just see how hard they are. So that I feel I feel like that's more much more effective. A very powerful character for sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, and and Simon's just him and Ed Burns, they're both, they're just like really um you know brilliant at that they're really good right. at at doing very subtle things through either language or just even setting a scene by just having them do something simple that brings home an an entirely effective point that other people may have as you said used an entire preachy monologue to try to get across mm-hmm. and they don't have to do that they truly do show instead of Tale. So um, we'll we'll have plenty more to say about Cuddy as the season goes on. And now let's talk about some of the best scenes in episode one, season three. Van what were some of the best ones in your opinion?
1: Okay. Got a lot of them, but I tried to whittle it down. Okay. okay. I like the opening with Bodie and Poop. I caught my first pussy up
0: in the the girl, Shantae. Man, why didn't you say something before? They probably wouldn't be tearing this towel down now. They could put a big-ass sign in the front that says, here's where Malik Carr first got his dick wet. You know what I'm saying? Two, <laughs> we could be taking pictures, tourists be taking pictures and shit, souvenirs of your dick about he, this side. He that. ain't funny, yo. He just jealous. What? Je- that? You crazy, Shantae. Man, the mention of that bitch make my dick burn. Yo, ain't no bad pussy fool. Yeah, that's what they keep telling your ass down at the clinic, man. <laughs> keep that shit up. You haven't seen this motherfucker when he walking out to the clinic, burnt Poot be like this. He looks like a backwards-ass cowboy and shit. Instead of like this, I'm walking like this. (laughs) Dick looking like a fried chicken wing.
1: Definitely like that opening with Bodie and Poot. That shows you two things. Number one, it shows you that Bodie fundamentally understands his environment because he gets... Bodie predicts the trouble that the Barksdale's are going to have now that the projects have been demolished. And he does it all while calling Poot's dick a fried chicken wing. Thought I thought that love was it. brilliant.
0: Honestly.
1: Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love so it. So descriptive
0: it. and it's like he said it and you immediately you don't want to picture it, but then it kind of it plants a picture in your head unfortunately. You're like Ab- uh.
1: Absolutely. Uh I have um a cutie scene with fruit the second time where he goes back to try to get his pack back. Uh it just was that's one of the most hopeless scenes In the history of the show. Fruit is watching uh, uh, a female drug addict um, give oral sex to a bunch of drug dealers as it rains in a disgusting alley. Um, Cuddy walks up on him and asks him for a little bit of breathing room for his life and gets told no. Is somebody getting exploited. Down the alley... Fruit himself is being exploited. Doesn't even know it. And then Fruit is exploiting Cuddy. Totally. It's a three the hat six trick dig- of
0: exploitation right there.
1: Hat trick of exploitation right there. Okay.
0: And by the way, to your point about the hopelessness. I mean, again, Cuddy is fresh from prison. 14 years. And even he, the look on his face, he like. Hey, Damn. He's fucked up out here. Yeah. Like, look, And he's like. Yo, this is this is really fucked up out here. What yeah. what 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 have I been let into?
1: <laughs> right, it's worse than I thought it was. Um, then you have the scene with Carcetti and Burrell where they're in the diner. Um, obviously, this is the first time that Carcetti uh, kinda is making his move, and Burrell is uh, 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 chain of command, chain Mr. of command, chain
0: of, chain of command. Yeah,
1: not knowing he' about to get his ass whooped pretty soon. Um. <laughs> And then one of the one of my favorite moments. So the best scene I have is is I'm, I'm running down these scenes. The best scene I think is Cutty and fruit. That's my that's my favorite scene. It's the most effective scene to me. I love, of course, Stringer's little group.
0: You know that was on my list.
1: I know I love Stringer's group. Of course, you uh, do. another great scene. But just the coolest scene. One of the coolest scenes, obviously. This man is looking like Richard fucking Roundtree in this scene. Is when Avon walks across the baseball diamond to come meet Cuddy and Weebay.
0: That's like the that's like the, the the criminal version of Malcolm X pointing outside the police station.
1: <laughs> it's beautiful. Not only do they call the game, they turn their back. They don't even want to look him in the eye. He doesn't even. Now, Avon could have been a nice guy and walked around, but that's not how he was doing. He got fresh Tim's on in jail. He got fresh Tim's on in jail, walks directly across the baseball diamond, and they show him the utmost respect by not even halfway intimating that they are disrespecting him by avoiding eye contact. That's a boss. Yeah. That's a boss right there. That's not just fear, that's reverence. And that's one of the coolest scenes in The Wire.
0: I mean, I I was thinking about it as that was happening. And as we saw in season two, it was a scene where Avon, he eating KFC up in there. He got like, he he can right. get whatever he wants. I'm yep. like, why does he want to get out so bad? Like, I mean, no. he he seems to have this ship. He's still making money on the outside because the drug, mm-hmm. you know, because his drug kingpinning is still kingpinning. It's like he in there. He's safe. He protected. He got mm-hmm. KFC. Right. He, he, he can stop baseball games.
1: They playing video games in that yeah. motherfucker the whole nine. They got the new Madden. They got Coach K EA Sports the whole so. You know that was just a, just a, not when you say best, but just one of the coolest scenes ever.
0: Yeah, that was a, that was a great moment. Um, mm-hmm. for me, uh, a, as I mentioned at the top of the show, when Carver stands on the car and he gives the "You don't get to win, shitbird" speech.
1: Because you do not get to win, shitbird. We do.
0: I was like, yeah, he. I, I, Her and Carver are, are a comic relief, but they're also the the greatest window into the dysfunction of the police department. Sure. And we, we, you think about it in the totality of, of how their characters have been developed and realizing at the end of season two, they leave Daniels because they're to, tired of getting treated like pack mules. But really, that's mm-hmm. not what it is. I mean, I, I know that's part of it. They feel disrespected. They feel, yeah. they feel like they aren't taken seriously. And for that matter, people don't think they're smart. Granted, these are all perceptions they have earned, okay? right. <laughs> they have definitely earned. But what they really are angry about is they don't get to do some of the things that they see, that we see them do in this first episode. Like, they love catching 13 and 14-year-olds and whooping their ass and exercising all sorts of police brutality and treating them inhumanely and then bringing them in for shit like loitering. They live for that shit. It's like they live to do uh, uh, the worst parts of the job for police or at least what other people would consider to be the worst parts. They love this shit. And it's just like, wow, Herc and Carver are literally the embodiment Of everything everybody has been protesting now for months. And so Mm -hmm. when he gave that speech, I just couldn't help but to think, um, you know, of the number of non-fatal police encounters that we've seen where police are entering and it it applies to the fatal ones, too. But I'm just going to focus on the non-fatal ones where we see any confrontation, verbal confrontation with the police. And it escalate so quickly because the police feel like they have the right to win no matter what no matter what no matter what no matter your rights no matter like fuck your feelings fuck your rights Mm -hmm. we win and that's their mentality and that's why things are as fucked up as they are Uh, another great kind of um, understated scene and again you know it was all about showing and that's when bunny was riding around the western district in his car and you can see you can feel the wheels turning you know exactly what he's thinking just by what he's looking at mm-hmm. he is like we are he is thinking in that very moment that he is caught up in something that's fucking pointless pointless right. he's like hmm we sitting up here trying to police and this shit is inevitable in many ways and we not doing shit they're not making a dent in drug trafficking they're not doing really anything and he can he is his frustration as somebody who takes law enforcement seriously. He is in the 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 small, he's on that small list of good cops in the wire. Like, I think right. Bunny Colvin is definitely a good cop, right? right? And he wants to see systemic change. But he realizes if they keep doing shit the way that they're doing shit, they will never see it. Right. Never and, ever
1: see it. And not only is the real thing, not, the bullshit isn't even working. And what I, right. I mean by that is like, the bullshit where they are supposed to be get some kind of grandiose respect from the dealers on the street that's not even working because a kid tries to sell him drugs
0: that's when he was like, this shit is like this shit
1: is really over the top It's
0: all fucked up like this dude he presuming he's in a fucking police car right right That's just okay, I'll give it the benefit of the doubt say it's unmarked but we all know right. what an unmarked police car looks like. Right, in his full uniform. Full uniform. <laughs> he had to put on his hat and be like, "Are you really this fucking Are, stupid?" Like dog,
1: dog. Look, it, it's me. Uh, I'm a police. So, like, even that, like, he just it, like, all of it. None of it is stopping that kid from selling drugs to a cop. Like, nothing that he's doing. So, it must be tough for that yeah. to have been really your life's work.
0: Um. So, I thought that was like a, a really great moment to drive home, like. That that essentially the war on drugs is a failure, a waste of time, and totally pointless. We get that all from that scene. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I thought it was it's a small moment, but those awkward kisses between Daniels and his wife—that <laughs> mm. <laughs> was some awkward shit. I mean, I, I I there have been less awkward exchanges I've seen between like you know uh when you're at church and like the church mother like (laughs) it it, like like gives you a little church kiss or whatever like that even that this was five million more times awkward than any any kiss that i've I've probably ever seen it's like wow these two people really don't i mean they they still fuck with each other out of necessity yeah right out of mutual sort of Political, um, you know, they have... A, well, not really mutual. It's really his wife that is the one that's eyeing the political future. And he's just... It's a ironic. Sh- yeah, exactly. It's our
1: career pushed them apart. And now it's career that's keeping them together. That's keeping them together. Because he's nothing yeah. but a show husband
0: right. for her in in her world. And so I was like, oh, my God. Those kisses, they have been even worse. But no. my number one scene. And it also is very easily the Stringer Bell fuckboy moment of oh, episode Jesus, one. Here we go. Here we go. Is that
1: meeting. With these towers down, we need to take the rest of them low-rises and all them Fayette Street corners. Take them. Take them how, Mr. Bodie? You say fucking and take them. Nigga, you ain't got the floor. Chair recognize your ass. Let's just
0: wrap ourselves around the idea, the concept of what he's doing here, man. Mm-hmm. He, he has literally tried to have a business meeting with drug dealers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's so a just, business!
0: It, 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 Wait, what is of It's Not, a business. But this is the thing, man. Not just having a meeting, that's fine. This motherfucker actually is trying to, he's trying to instill parliamentarian ass rules. To a business meeting with drug dealers. Why? Because oh, Trigger Bell would do some fuck boy shit like that. No. Let me show how smart like, I am. Let me show no. all, that, about that ROTC class that I took in fucking high school. Let me let let me show everybody <laughs> that I know how to do a point of order meeting. Like ROTC. what? Get
1: I'll your a fake
0: parliamentary asshole out of here, man.
1: He's just trying to give them structure, <laughs> structure and discipline. Let me ask you a question. In that whole meeting. Did Stringer say anything that was wrong? <laughs> I, 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 I he didn't say
0: anything that was nothing, wrong. He didn't
1: say nothing wrong. But it was give Stringer, Stringer credit, man. He didn't say okay. nothing in that meeting that was wrong. If they went by everything he said in that meeting, so much of the rest of the season would have been easy.
0: My issue is not that he said anything wrong. My issue, as it is with him, is Stringer is an elitist, he's a coastal elite. That's what, that's my issue with Stringer Bell is that, see, you know, you know what he's like, you know what he's like. And we've all enc- encountered people like this who, you know, when we knew them, they weren't as devoted to say something religious. Then they get some Jesus in their life. Next thing you know, they come on, they they want to be like, well, you know, instead of going to the bar, let's go to Bible study. Or, uh, you know, uh, it's like what they said in Ephesians, like they're working that shit into the conversation all the time. Because they have their eyes have been opened by the new religion that they're all into. And they want to make sure everybody else is into it, too. So because Trigger Bell decided to take his ass down to the community college and pay $104 a credit hour, now everybody got to sit through this fake-ass parliamentary meeting. Now everybody mm-hmm. has to have a point order. That motherfucker's got to raise their hand when they talk to him. What? Man, he better get out of here with that bullshit. <laughs> Get out of here with that bullshit, man! You see, Bodie mm-hmm. getting frustrated. Like, really, motherfucker? I'm right here. I gotta keep raising my hand.
1: How we gonna stand? Yo, she ain't recognize your ass, man. How we gonna stand on some? Come on, man. How we gonna stand on some corner that's not ours? Well, we got the best product, right? Yeah, they getting frustrated because they're trying. They-, they need to. They need discipline. Bodie was getting Bodhi like he told him Bodie was getting crazy on McCullough Street he needs discipline they need to be able they need structure and Stringer's just trying to provide that he's trying to elevate these young my boys my favorite moment
0: it. in that whole exchange of him you know running this meeting okay is when Poot says to Stringer does the ah. chair know we don't look like some punk ass bitches <laughs> thank you it's Poot thank that you that was funny
1: cause like that he was being shady Cause he was like, does the chair know we gonna look like some fuck ass bitches?
0: <laughs> he's like, oh, you you wanna have an orderly meeting? Well orderly right. these motherfuckers. Okay. Right. You said you All wanna right. be so orderly, Mr. Chair.
1: And he's like, say, hey, Pooh did have the chair. <laughs> <laughs> I mean after he gets mad, say, yo, man, Pooh did have the chair. Those motherfuckers too stupid to have the chair. I love that scene. A great scene. I mean, Shout out, Stringer Bell.
0: He, but he did he not have the floor per per the rules?
1: He had, he had the belt. He had the floor. He had the he floor. Had the floor. He so had the floor.
0: It's, it's like okay, what what are we doing here? And mm-hmm. you know, then of course after he's Stringer is all upset that Poop, who who had a point. Okay, because mm-hmm. <laughs> he his whole big mastermind plan was for them to go to people on established corners and sell them their package and. He's he's assured that it's gonna work out just fine.
1: It did, except for one guy. That's I your man's though.
0: That's your man's, yep. Mister Ma- Mastermind. Uh, it all worked out. Uh, yeah. Go reason with him. Go reason right. with him, because you know we're all businessmen. Uh, no, it, 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 it's drug dealers, and you think you're a businessman.
1: <laughs> yeah, some some of them is just gangsters. I Exa- suppose exactly right. So, that
0: that's your boy. That's all I gotta say. Mm-hmm. That is your boy. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of great lines in this one, and. Um, that reminded me, I I thought one of the better lines was uh, delivered by McNulty when he said, you don't don't look look at what what you you did before,
1: before." you do the same shit all over. Yep. That
0: is a testimony and a word. And thank you, McNulty, for that TED Talk.
1: Right. And then McNulty, for the rest of the season, will... Commenced to doing the same the shit. The same he did shit. Before. I know. That's. I mean,
0: it was a great line, but I. Right. That was one of the first things I thought about. I was like, "Oh, it's so funny he should utter that because he literally is going down
1: mm-hmm. yep. the
0: same path that he always does when he feels as if he's not winning in his job. Much like you know, that's that's the that's the rub of Mcnulty. He's a brilliant detective, but he's mm-hmm. self-destructive, and yep. if he is not in a position where he can feel. Um, you know, wanted, be it by a woman or his ex-wife or whatever, romantic partner of the second. If he's not in that uh scenario and his ego's being fed in that way, or if he's not getting a certain amount of gratification from the job, right. he is uh he's a bitch to deal with.
1: I mean right. he's a he, he's he, a fucking wreck.
0: He is. A I mean and, he, wreck. and he's already we see in this episode starting to poke Daniels. Already. Yep. Yeah and it's yeah, I mean, and, and I guess that's the part that could be very frustrating with watching him is it's almost like he throws track record out the window. At this mm-hmm. point, Daniels has proven that he's about real policing. Yeah, yeah. he's doing he's, his best. He's yeah. doing his best. And for McNulty, that's just like not good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and he continues to kind of make a, uh, create enemies in situations where it's totally unnecessary. You kind of start seeing him lay the found, uh, foundation for doing some of that, all
1: right, Van. For this
0: one, um, for this episode, what age the best to
1: you? Bunk getting called on his day off to go into work. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah.
1: Shooting on the west yeah. side. Another one. Christ, where? North
0: and Placid. cole's
1: up. nah Cole's working at cutting off Belvedere. Call Crutchfield see if he's back from the Westport scene. Crutchfield. If not, call Bunk at home. Bunk's off day. Hey, fuck his off day. If you have a job where you have a day off, eventually they're going to be like, yo, somebody else is sick. Come on in. So when Blunk is at that game, I remember one time I was doing the TMZ tour. I was back working for that place. And I was doing the TMZ tour and it was Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. And I was on my way to Disneyland because they used to be able to go different places with different people and be around other human beings and not worry about it. I remember that vaguely. What was that like? Yeah, Yeah, it's crazy. Um, and I was on my way, and they were like, "Uh, where are you at?" I was like, "I'm on the five, going to Disneyland." It's like, "Can you turn around? Are You too far away to turn around?" I was like, "Uh, why? We need you to come do the tours today, Van. We need you to come do the tours, like the the TMZ tours. We got one of our guides got into a car wreck. We're gonna lose so much money. It's the holiday season. Please, 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 please. I remember having to tell my family." That they had to turn the car around on the way to Disneyland. Oh, that and come back. That's tough. Tough. I remember there was one member of the family that asked me if I had any nuts, and that if I could tell the white folks, the white folks no, and be with your family on Christmas Eve. Never forgot it. But anyway, uh, no. (laughs) That's what age that that age the best, and what age the worst for me is just live sporting events in that same scene. Live sporting events have aged fucking terribly, like so so uh, that whole scene triggered me. The whole thing is triggered. you getting a goddamn hot dog at Camden Yards and the whole night. We should be at Camden Yards right now. I feel like like <laughs> i'm 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 upset, but it, but anyway, so that that whole thing uh that, that's what age the best what age order for me.
0: we are getting to that point in this horrid story of twenty twenty where uh, I, I'm with you. Like a lot of times I'm watching TV and I see people like doing things outside or eating at restaurants. Yeah. I'm like, fuck these people, man. Like, fuck <laughs> right. Yeah. It's not their fault. And then I'm just, or when I, you know, look at some pictures in my phone and I'm like six months ago, outside, yeah. unbelievable, outside. unbelievable yeah. bullshit. Uh, for me, what age the best is in the opening scene, uh, in this episode, sitting there not wanting to mess up them J's
1: yeah
0: <laughs> that, that ages that's timeless okay for yeah, eternity that's
1: that. put a little infinity sign around that yeah exactly
0: so not doing everything you can to avoid messing up the J's is, is huge although I, I flirted with and I know we haven't we don't do it consistently we only do it as we kind of see fit I almost flirted with making this a uh, we love this show making that a we love this show but because you look you know how guys are when it comes to their jays. Right. If you tell, Sidner knows he's going in essentially a crack house.
1: what are you You're really, not going to even wear your even J's. not going to even wear them. Yeah. So you not even going like, to wear yeah. your J's. Yeah. I don't know oh, if that was
0: it. realistic enough for mm-hmm. him to do that. Right? Yeah. So, um, in terms of what age is the worst, is compasses. Bunny gave those two newbie police officers two compasses mm-hmm. and to help them get their sense of direction, on a your comp- phone uh, Right Compasses mm-mm. I remember they used to uh, uh, They they would give those out at school And you had to try to figure out How to use them mm-hmm. or Whatever I don't even know The last time I've seen a compass But
1: I haven't seen one In a long time
0: At this point That's like Asking somebody To balance their checkbook With an abacus
1: Right like, Exactly that- <laughs> not, That's not gonna happen
0: <laughs> Not gonna happen That shit Definitely doesn't work uh, It was suggested By one of our Fine viewers That We say file this away for later to the later parts of uh, of the the podcast for people who you know may be watching for the first time if we get to this point and we're toward the end then we can say hey we're toward the end we're going to go through some file this away for later I don't know if that is going to help them uh or they would know like a spoiler alert is coming if that's going to help them in that regards I mean we're trying not to have as many spoiler alerts, but some, you know, the series is 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 old shit. Like, <laughs> right, yeah. At this point, you should have watched it. So, I purposely waited till this point of the podcast, as we've broken down the different scenes and this uh, or whatnot, to talk about file this away for later, since we're close to wrapping up the end of the pod. So, I just thought I would try it, and we mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. Right, we right. Uh, we listen to you guys' feedback. So, if you do not want to hear any spoilers and file this away. For later you can jump to the trivia portion All the time codes are in the episode description So we're helping you out there So there were uh, a number of this away For later moments Uh, Which ones did you flag? I'm going to go through
1: them quickly Because there are a lot Okay So the fact that Marlo was willing to kill uh, 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 Bubbles in broad daylight Correct On a whim File that away for later Please uh, Bubbles bemoaning and complaining about his life as a low bottom dope fiend yep, I had that later. one
0: too yeah uh, cause right. he some shit is starting to settle in he started to put some pieces together
1: right Ronnie looking at Cedric Daniels and going you living out of the you living yeah. out of the office had that
0: circle too boy y- yeah some, like, she's doing some advanced scouting right there she's <laughs> doing
1: some scouting there's yep. trouble there's <laughs> trouble at home you living out of the office Cedric Cedric she might give him somewhere else to live in uh uh obviously Carketti and Burrell is one, and Cuddy and fruit. File that away for later. That's gonna be a big, huge turning point in the character of Cuddy, yep. that little back and forth. Something unexpected.
0: Uh, for me, uh, I had many of those same uh, see, I had the same scenes that you noticed. And also McNulty looking up D'Angelo to see where it. Mm. Gigantic! Where is Can't believe the I missed Angelo it. File that away for later. For sure. Also, uh, Mayor Royce thinking it's laughable that somebody like carchetti could possibly ever challenge him for his position.
1: A white boy. A white <laughs> boy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he's not just white. He's practically transparent. <laughs> he's <just> practically <laughs>
1: transparent. I will right,
0: we'll see. Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, uh, file that one away.
0: And uh, when the officers in the Western di- District were. Lectured for throwing beer cans on the roof. But yes. went away. It's a bit of a recurring theme in this. Um, so those are all the ones I had. Now let's move on to some trivia. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. So mm. this is a great episode to notice some things. Um, okay. The intro, as everybody knows, whenever it's a new season, The Wire, they get somebody new to sing the intro. It sounds different every every particular season. Pay attention to this intro because um right, I think right before, not right but yeah, like a few seconds before the episode actually starts, if you uh hit the pause button, you see a campaign flyer for Nancy Pelosi.
1: Interesting.
0: You see it right there. It's like, oh, Pelosi. Well, well, well. We
1: know that name. Interesting. Yeah. Yes.
0: yes. Uh Very first opening scene. Um, And I got to partly take people back to the end of season two. Notice Mm -hmm. the end of season two, when Bubs tells Kima and McNulty about Brother Muzon shooting cheese. They pull Mm -hmm. his file. The name on the file that they pull is Melvin Flagstaff, a.k.a. Cheese. Mm -hmm. Notice who, what his name is. This time around, when they you they show the org chart, because, you know, that's the hallmark of the unit of uh, yes. major crimes. It's like when they are on a case, they do a whole org chart to figure out who the major players are. And when the camera pans to cheese, the name is no longer Melvin. It's Calvin. Calvin Wagstaff. They totally changed mm-hmm. his name.
1: Changed his name. They, Interesting. Yeah. They changed it, and the name going forward might have some relevance to it future does. characters. It's a huge file oh, this way away from later. Huge fathers this away so from later, guys. remember
0: that last name, Wagstaff.
1: Wagstaff.
0: So there is your trivia. Finally, we are on to the moment of truth. Van, who did you think
1: won this episode? Oh, I don't think people are going to be shocked. Cuddy won it for me. Yeah. No. Uh, I I I talked a lot of earlier about how I feel about the character and how I feel about watching it, um, watching everything unfold. I think definitely for me, Cuddy won. Um he, he, like kind of what he's going through in a lot of ways sets the tone for the season. And he's gonna be such an integral part of it. I thought he was it was the most moving um and the most weighted and grounded part of, of this particular episode. I thought Cuddy won, and I'm all emotionally entangled into There's the I'm, I'm all emotionally entangled There's a word. Uh, uh, in, <laughs> in, 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 into this uh, so I felt I had cutting.
0: uh great choice uh, for this episode my winner is Councilman Councilman, uh, <laughs> Councilman Karketty he right. won uh, he won this episode because uh, right away we see that he is a maneuverer and he is oh, yeah. eyeing something big. And after originally being shot down by Burrell, um, his exchange with him is very much um, a foundational element for the rest of this series. And yeah, sure. uh, he, he proved himself right away to, as much as Royce is underestimating him, that he's dealing with a major operative who is sharp enough To navigate a lot of the waters that, as we will see in the rest of the series, that Royce is incapable of doing. So I thought this was a great head start episode for Karketi, who becomes, you know, one of the biggest characters this season and next season. Really, over the next two seasons, he's one of the biggest characters. So he was my winner of this particular episode. Um, there. See the only re- you know I thought about Cuddy is funny, and the only reason I didn't pick him for this one because it's one later on down the line where I really feel like he, he won it. He will be the unquestioned winner of that particular episode. So
1: fair enough, fair enough. Yes,
0: um, but anyway, uh, I'm excited. We're just getting started into season three. Um, I know for a lot of people this is a part of an ongoing debate that wire fans have, which was the best season of the wire. Was it season three or was it season four? So I'm really looking forward to breaking down season three, just because um maybe this time around, I, look, I, I'll go on record now and we'll see how I feel by the time we wrap this season. I think season four is the best season. Right. So my order is four, three, one, two, five. That's my order. Right. All right. right. So We'll see if I feel the same at the end of season three, because there, there's some uh, as has been the case as we've been talking about each of these seasons how I felt at the beginning, and I always think they're all brilliant, and how I felt at the end. Sometimes they're slightly different. So you yep. think you think it's season three for sure?
1: I think it's season three for
0: sure. Okay, all right. So Van yeah. is already on the record that it's season three. I think it's season four, but but. Three is my 1A choice. Uh, Anyway, thank you guys for hanging out uh, with us. Yes, uh, as we start this exciting journey of season three. Um, Definitely keep watching The Wire and keep listening to us. We'll see y'all next time.